Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Parsha Bishalach. This Parsha is chock full. We have so many things. I'd have, I had to really be selective here because I'm going to skim over a lot of things in the Parsha, but we are going to hyper-focus on a few things. And um, we again are going to be discussing, continuing on with our theme of Bitachon and Hishtadlos and Amuna and all the other things, trust and how much effort to put in and how much um, you know faith to put in at certain times. This week's Parsha, first of all, we wanted to thank Devorah Bullman for sponsoring today's Parsha. Thank you very much. May your strength continue. And um, this week's Parsha contains Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea, Shiras Hayam, the song of the sea, bringing the bones of Yosef. Um, they get to a place called Mara. Everything's bitter there. Uh, and six mitzvahs were given at Mara, such as Kippur of the Aim and Shabbos were already started to be given at this place called Mara, which means bitter. Uh, then they had no water for three days uh, and they complained again. We find the giving of the man. We're saying Parshas Aman is today. We're going to go through the man a lot today. We're going to discuss that. And finally, Amalek. Also, this week is Tubishvat, and it's not for naught that Tubishvat always falls or almost falls out always on Parshas Bishalach, somewhere or other. Okay, so with that daunting task, let's ask our four questions, come out with some amazing answers, and gain thereby some amazing thoughts. Okay. First of all, um, so we're, we're going to bring the, the, something we're going to be really focusing on a lot today, again, as we said, is the whole trust in Hashem, Bitachan, and Ishtavos, and all these kind of topics. Pasuk tells us right before the, the water split, Hashem commanded Moshe to go split the water. By Yisub B'nai Yisrael Seinechem, B'nai Yisrael lifted their eyes by Yiru Ma'od, and they were very frightened by El, then they screamed at Tashem, and Moshe told them, Altiro, don't be afraid. You should stand up and you will see divine um, you know, help. You're gonna see, you're gonna get redeemed from Mitzrayim. You're gonna get out of there. Hashem is gonna, uh, gonna take you out of Mitzrayim. I take you across the Yamsuf. Now, the way the Amashal is given in the Medrash as to how the Jews felt at this very moment, surrounded by wild animals, Egyptians, and the roaring sea, it, think about it for a second. This is very similar to how we live in Eretz Yisrael today, surrounding by roaring animals and the sea. And considering that the B'nai Yisrael are surviving, any case, the Amashal given by the Medrash is that there's a bird, a yona, a dove, and it's fleeing the fire and it goes into the crevices of, of a nearby rock, this poor dove, to escape the ravages of fire and it sees all of a sudden coming toward it a slithering snake. Can you imagine what that means? This is, you know, this is how they felt when they came to the Amsip. So Moshe tells them, don't be afraid. Now from a man, Bayar Basivlo Sama, a man like Moshe, who had so much concern for the Jewish people, he couldn't bear to see their suffering. All you say is, you know, I'll tiro, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid and stand here and you'll see Yeshua Hashem. So it's, uh, you know, what do you mean don't be afraid? How can they not be afraid? It's very frightening. So it, sound, it sounds on first glance like, okay, he's telling them you're going to see Yeshua Hashem, but it sounds like a lack of empathy on Moshe's part. I remember once somebody in one of my classes told me that she had some kind of degree in social work. And she said for six months straight, they were taught how to say empathetic things in different ways. Like, you know, to react to somebody, to show them you're feeling with them. Six months, they had to have this in a course. She said, like, for example, if someone says, oh, my foot is hurting me, you're supposed to reflect back. It shows that you've got the message. You feel with them. You're supposed to say things like, oh, I see there's aches in your feet or there's pain. And it's such pain you have. You're saying back what they feel, but at least it shows you've got it. You're there with them. And all he says is, I'll tiro. He's Yatsavuru. What's the idea there? It sounds like a lack of reflecting on his part. Now, I'm not accusing Moshe Rabbein. I'm not going to social work school. Because we are, uh, social work is just a beginning. Torah is, of course, much more empathetic than any, any course in any university, anywhere in the universe. Anyways, but what does it mean, don't be afraid? What is he trying to tell them? Question number two. We're told something very interesting. We're told, it says, 
we're talking about splitting of the sea. And if, if the Gemara Pesachim says, Kushin Mizono Sav Shal Adam Kakriyas Yamsuf. You must have heard this before. Let's finally get a deep explanation from Rabbi Shimon Schwab, Zechran Lebracha. He says, a person's bread, it's hard to make parnasa like splitting of the sea. Why? Like it says in Tehillim, no sein lechem lechol basar. In Tehillim it says, God gives food to anybody that needs. And then afterwards it says, legoser yamsuf legzarim. Hashem split up the yamsuf in parts. So two verses uh, juxtaposed next to each other, telling us that if a person lacks parnasa, don't worry, because right after that it talks about how Hashem split the Yamsuf. So there's a connection between the two of them. And then, of course, there's another one, another Gemara, which says, where is it? Um, a minute. It also says, it says, Kasha's Lazivu Gum Kikriyas Yamsuf. It's hard to find a Shidduch like it is Yamsuf. Even though the Gemara in Sota, he says, this is talking about your second shidduch, your zivik sheni. Now, by some people, a zivik sheni could be your zivik risham, but whatever it is, the second shidduch, which is supposed to be your true shidduch, is as hard as, as splitting the sea. Uh, you know, why? What, what's, the, what's the correlation there? Uh, why is it, is, what does it mean? Is it hard for Hashem to split the Yamsuf? How, why is it hard to find a shidduch and hard to get parnasa like it is splitting the Yamsuf? Okay, that's question two. Question three, we get the bun in this week's Parsha, and we're going to all say, hopefully, um, the, the, you know, the Parsha's Haman today, it's very important, you know, it's supposed to be a big segul, it's probably a very universal custom to recite the verses about the manna being given, because by saying that, which is supposed to be a, a segula, it's supposed to be some kind of impetus to help you get a Parnassa, so we'll talk about that also, a lot about Parnassa this week's Parsha, but in any case, talk about the man. Uh, in Parshas Akev, we're told why was the man given? Now, the man, you know, is a miraculous thing. We'll be talking a lot about it. But it also says, Laman anoscha The man was also given to afflict you and to test you. Uh, so we always thought it's this beautiful thing. All, all's well with the man. It can't be more perfect than the man, but yet it's to afflict you and to test you. What does that mean? And last but not least, Last but not least, the um, the, the tour before Amalek, there were three days the, the Jews were wandering without any water and they couldn't take it anymore. And they're screaming out to Moshe, please give us water. Tell Hashem, give us water. We can't wait anymore. What does Moshe tell them? Instead of just telling them, be patient, Moshe says, Lama tenasun es Hashem. Why should he test Hashem? Now here's people, they have a reason. Says, uh, they have a reason to be thirsty. In Mitzrayim, despite all the affliction, they were never thirsted for water because they gave all their servants proper food and drink and they worked them to the bone. But they, they, they here's three days without water. It's a it's very big hardship. And um, all they asked for was water. What do you mean you're testing Hashem? Let's, let's get those. Those are our four questions for today, ladies. Let's come out with some amazing ideas and answers and hopefully life-changing thoughts. Today, um, okay, so we have um, a few presenters tonight. Our first presenter, we're going to bring down Rav Leib Bak, from Detroit, and then I'm bringing a lot of Rav Nevin Salshlita, the Rav of the old city of Yerushalayim. I'm going to bring a lot from him today. Okay, so here we go. So first, let's answer our last question first. Rav Bak, Rashiva in Detroit, he was uh, one of the people that came out of Shanghai, he was one of the famous mirror Talmudim, and his Rebbe forever was Rev Chatzka Levenstein, who was, I told you, one of my five favorite, bio 10 favorite biographies is Rev Chatzka. Uh, anyways, he came to Eretz Yisrael. It was around Shavuos time. He said, I should visit my Rebbe. It's a mitzvah to visit your Rebbe every uh, pilgrimage festival. Regal, all the Shlosh Regalim. Not only should you go to the Kosel, you should visit your Rebbe. So he went before Shavuos to go visit Rav Chasko, was elderly at that point. And he at that time was the Meshkiach of Panovish. So Rav Chasko looked at him and he said, why are you coming to me? He said, I'm coming to be Makabal Pnei Rabo Baregel. I want to go visit my Rebbe before the holidays. You gain, you know, spiritual sustenance besides the holiday itself. 
seeing your Rebbe is very, you know, induce, it induces growth, spiritual growth. So Rav Hassel tells him, I can't even learn so much anymore. I only can learn Chumash. Ha, ha, ha. But anyways, he said he was holding a Chumash in his hands. And he says, I don't understand. Uh, you know, the Jewish people were asking for water. And the Pusik says, Why are you fighting with me? Why are you testing Hashem? Now, he says, what's the test of Hashem? They're only asking for water. Like, what's the test for Hashem? So he says, I'll give you an example. And I'm slightly modernizing it, but it's basically the same example Rav Haskell gives. Rav Haskell gives an example. He says, you know, it's a universal thing in the yeshiva that they get a test before enter an entrance examination. It's called in Yiddish a faher. So all Bachram have to undergo some type of faher. They undergo some type of examination test. They're asked, what Gemara are you learning? And then they, or they tell you what Gemara to prepare. And then you're grilled on that Gemara. And they expect a certain standard out of each grade level. Depending what grade you would like to get into, you are grilled on that particular level. So he says, give an example. There's a Bachar in Yeshiva. So he's tested you know, real good questions going, entering, let's say ninth grade, entering ninth grade level, first year, what they call it. He's going to ninth grade, giving him some hard questions. He flies through it. So the examiner is very impressed. And he says, you know what? I'll ask you some more difficult questions, you know, if you want. And the boy says, yes, I'd like to go to a higher level shear if I could test me according to the next layer level. And I'd like to get in there if I can. So he tests him, and sure enough, the boy even makes it to the 10th grade because of his tremendous knowledge. But if the boy turns around and he says, now, I, uh, I didn't, you know, he asked him some questions. He doesn't understand the questions. He says, no, 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 let me ask you a question, the buffer tells the examiner. Let me ask you a question. I want you to explain it to me. You, you explain to me. So then the examiner at this point will say, listen, I'm here to test you. You're not here to test me. You know what I mean? That's not the point. The point is, who's not, it's not who's testing who. Is it you're supposed to know the information, and that's your, your job. My job is to test you. So too, says Rav Haskell, Moshe Rabbeinu was succinctly explaining to B'nai Israel something they understand, have to understand. And this is forever, for posterity. This includes us. And that is, whenever we go through any kind of suffering or anything in this world, and we cry out to Hashem, we have to realize we are here in life to be tested. Life is one big series of tests. But you don't get the drift. You had it easy by the Makos. You just watched all the Egyptians perish. And then you saw the Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. You were passive. And then you saw Kriyas Yamsuf and you were passive. When you're asking for water, remember the basic premise in life is that everything is a test. Like the Masil Sharm, the, the Path of the Just says in the first chapter, Kikol all the matters of this world, whether they're good or bad, they're all here to test a human being. The poverty from one side, and even wealth is a test. Um, so, and the purpose of a human being in this world is only to keep the mitzvahs and to serve God, I guess the Vilna Gon would add also improve your character and to stand up with tests. But I guess the test means of character, mostly character tests and uh, testing your capacity to keep mitzvahs. That is it. That's the first thing we want to establish this morning. I was, I was saying this evening before because I see how dark it is outside here in Toronto, but everything is a real, everything is, is a real test. All is a test. That's the first thing. So when we start complaining, we have to realize, what are we asking for? We're asking Hashem to prove himself to us. That's not what this world is about. That's the next world. We'll see all the things that he's going to resolve for us and resolve for us. And here in this world, we're supposed to withstand tests. And that is our mission in this world. Now, here comes Rav Nevensal. We're going to be hearing from him, Shlita, for a while now, because he's going to explain to us do, uh, you know, based on this week's Parsha, um, we're going to talk about the whole, more, more information that we need this week for Bitachon and Amuna. Renevitzel explains that when Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jewish people not to worry, he wasn't ignoring their feelings. 
first of all, there is a fact, I think one of the reasons I like public speaking is you can't, you can be tougher speaking to a public than you can to an individual. With an individual, you have to consider their feelings. You should only hint at things. You shouldn't say it too often. You shouldn't nudge them. You shouldn't drain them a cup, you know? When you speak to a lot of people, no one takes it personally. So you can come on a little stronger, you know? It's much easier to deal with a Robin. So by him saying, don't be afraid, that's not so bad for a Robin. He doesn't have to go and say, I see your wounds and your pain. But there's a further explanation says Rav Nevinsal. And he says like this, the end of that verse, when he says, don't be afraid, he says, Hashem yilachem lachem v'atem tacharishum. God is going to fight for you, so be quiet. So don't, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't utter a complaint anymore. In other words, he's saying something very important. When there is a promise for Hashem, from Hashem rather, a person at that moment is supposed to exercise bitachem. If you want to, you know, if you want to, a time when it's proper for a person to trust God is when there's a promise. Anywhere in the Torah, when you're promised something, you should not fear. No matter, they just came out of Egypt. They didn't work on their bitachon or anything. But when there's a promise, um, there's nothing to fear. In fact, he connects it with further on and say for Devarim, Perek, Chaf, Pasagimel, there is that when people go out to a war for a mitzvah purpose, we're told, don't let your don't let your hearts become soft. Now these are already tzaddikim. Remember, only tzaddikim go to a mitzvah war. The other ones, anybody that's got an excuse or other, can go home. But in any case, he said, don't don't let your hearts get soft. again, don't be afraid, mipnehem. And then it says also, It gives four expressions of fear, and the Rambam says on this. Get ready, ladies, because this is scary. The Rambam says there are four lavim midaraisa. There are four negative commandments you can transgress by being uh, worried or fearful at a time of a mitzvah war. Four transgressions. The Rambam says it. Now, why? Because he says, the Rav Nevensel says, if a person is given a promise and, a, and there's a commandment, and usually they come together because a commandment usually is because you're commanded to do something because you were promised there's nothing to worry about. You are obligated not to fear. That's what he says. And so Reb Nevensel takes the liberty to say, it seems to him that this is similar to the Milchemes mitzvah and that here when they were leaving Mitzrayim, when they were leaving Mitzrayim, this was a one-time thing. There was a promise from Hashem, he's gonna save you. So don't be afraid. So it's similar. There was a command. There was a once there's a promise, then you can you have to keep the faith once you're promised. Now, we as a Jewish people, by the way, no matter what we're going through now, we do know ultimately there'll be a Mashiach. We're promised by the Nevi'im there's going to be a Mashiach. We're promised by the Nevi'im Kleistral is never going to end. So we can't be afraid in that way. That for sure, because it's a promise. So we find the same thing by the man in this week's parsha. It says, Ish al Yosir Menu. Nobody hoard your man. Don't take too much. Don't be afraid. You're going to get more tomorrow. They can't be afraid. Once you're promised by Hashem something, you cannot be afraid. You have to have to have bitachon. The same by Kriyas Yamsuf. When once Hashem commanded Moshe to split the sea, then Nachshon could throw himself into the sea because once you're promised by Hashem something, you have no reason to be afraid. Otherwise, Nachshon, he said, would have been committing a terrible crime. It would have been suicide. It would have been stupid for people just to throw themselves into the sea when you're not commanded that your all is going to be well is foolish and irresponsible. So we have to know when to exercise hishtablis, when next, when not to exercise hishtablis, when to trust. But when there's a promise and a commandment, then we're told this is when you must follow the words of Hashem and you must heed heed the words and and listen. The Nitziv answers similarly. He's going to go throughout, as you see, Nevinsal's scope. He knows my, we, I once, there was a lady that used to come to my shir. She now lives in Israel. Her name mm -hmm. is Sarah mm -hmm. Benzakai. She should be well. And she arranged for me to go to Nevinsal's house for Shabbos. I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Ever, never, never. Like it was in the middle of the old city. And um, I, um, I have a son that's like very brisk leaning. 
<laughs> and he was in there. So I said, I'm, I'm with my children. I, I, I don't know if I can leave them. They said, no, no, it's just, they have a lot of guests. So you, you'll come with your son. We'll find you a place to stay. And my son was unsure, you know, and in, in, in the yeshiva that he headed was not known for its real brisk leanings. You know, it was like more of a knitted yarmulke kind of a group of people. And my son was like doubtful if we could eat there. And he um, he went and asked, uh, I think, Rav Nussan Finkel from the mirror. I think he asked him at that time, can he eat by Rav Nevinsel's house? Rav Nussan Finkel had to hold his mouth from like, you know, from like, uh, from like laughing his head off because it was like he said, <laughs> my son said he was blown. He said he knows everything. He knows everything about everything. And we're going to see the breadth and length of everything. That it's everything. Yerushalmi, Bavli, Tanakh, everything. This, this, and Sadik Yisod Olam. I'll just tell you a few big nets. I don't know. I wasn't planning to say this, but I, I might as well, if I'm quoting him, I might as well say some of his greatness. I was at his table huge table and overlooks Harazason. That's where his his apartment is. And um, the uh, he had a family over, his relatives, his family, uh, uh, like a whole family of children, uh, grandchildren. And Rev. Nevinsel does not sit at the head of his own Shabbos table. <laughs> That's how humble he is. And he, um, uh, what's it called? He sat somewhere in the middle. He didn't make Kiddush. Someone else made Kiddush. And I think someone else made Hamotzi also. And um he he's just he's just unbelievable you should you should google him if you've never seen his face if you could google is on if you have like a computer a smile like you've never seen in your entire lifetime that he this man has um the lights up a room but in any case the uh the humility that tremendous humility of this person is is beyond description beyond description anyways Let's just quote him. And also, he happens to be Mechutin of Chaim Kanievsky. Not bad for Yechas, for a man, for a Kippas Ruga Yeshiva. Anyways, so the, um, the anyway, so, uh, so he says like this. So he says, like, for example, we give many examples. Elion Navi, who you know, many mm -hmm. say is Pinchas. Mm -hmm. If he was Pinchas, then he's a Kayen, right? And how could Elion, how could Elion Navi resuscitate this child? Remember, there was a child, the Isha Tsarfatis that had a child that died and he had promised her she was gonna have a child and he died and she begged him to come back and revive her child. If he's a Kohen, he can't be in the room with this child. How can he have revived him? The Tzitziv asked this question. So the Tzitziv answers that um, you're not allowed to break Shabbos unless it's a good chance of pikuach nefesh, of saving somebody's life, right? So you can't break being a Kohen because maybe there's a small chance you'll save somebody's life. It's got to be pretty, you know, just doing some hocus pocus is going to, you know, that you're going to supposedly revive the child. How can you, how can he do such a thing? So he says he must have had Baruch HaKodesh. She must have had knowledge that he is able to do this. And thus he was able to desecrate his Gauna in order to save this child's life. He must have known that there was, you know, you can't just do things. You can't just go somewhere and say, oh, I'll go into a hospital because I'm going to for sure save a life and I'll be in the body in a room with a corpse. You can't just say that. But Elia Navi could say that because he was on the Madrega. He was on the level where he had such faith that he was going to save this child because if he was a Navi, he got a communication from Hashem, obviously, and he knew he had the power to do it. So thus he was able to sacrifice that side of himself. Amuna has to be based on something, says Rav Nevensel. Otherwise, you can't have fake bitachon. You can't have fake bitachon and amuna. It's got to be a promise. It's got to be a nevuah. It's got to be a commandment. Otherwise, you have no right to go ahead and say that you have bitachon unless you're on that level, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. For example, um, there was a case of people doing too much ishtadlish. King Saul, Shaul HaMelech, was told by Shmuel not to take action in a certain war against the Philistines. Wait for him. He's coming back in seven days. And he couldn't take it anymore. He was getting pressure from the people. He couldn't withhold himself. And because he couldn't withhold himself, he lost his entire kingship. Now, maybe you and I would have done some effort, but he was on a level where more was expected of him. He was told by a Navi. He had to do it. And he has to do what the Navi says. It was a promise. And, and he can't be weak in that regard. Some, and many times we find in Tanakh that people were censured for having too much or too little effort in what they did. And we're going to go into those examples in a few minutes. But 
Well, maybe I'll do that now. I was going to say that first. Um, okay, first we'll do this. I'm going in the order now that he says it. Um, he tells, there's two basically, by the way, the idea of Bitochen is very, very complicated. I, I went to seminary in Breuer's, which is no longer, but it was a fantastic seminary in my day. And we had to write like a term paper at the end of two years of study. And um, one of the hardest topics, which I didn't touch because I was told it was the hardest, was the topic of writing a whole treatise on Bitochen. That was known to be the most complicated thing to write on. You know, and I remember that... Um, a girl in my a girl a year older than me, Malki Giver, her name was, and the, she later became Peretsky, who became the head of uh, Muncie uh, Muncie Basiakov High School for many many years. Genius. She attempted to take that topic, but in any case, Bitachan is a hard topic, so we're not going to solve all the, the questions of Bitachan today. In fact, there are two basic approaches in our day to Bitachan. There's the approach of Navardic. And many of the Muster people, you listen to the Bitachan hotline, he's definitely Navardic. And there is a slight difference between them. Navardic has this idea like this, and I believe Breslov is similar to Navardic as well. It says, if you believe Hashem can do it, then he'll he's gonna do it. That's what that's what Navardic's main idea is. You believe Hashem can do something, if you believe strong enough, he's going to do it. That's that's Navardic. Now, even if you're not Navardic. It's still worthwhile to listen to the Bitachan Hotline. I think it can change anybody's life. It really can. A daily dose of the Bitachan Hotline. Here I'm uh, promoting it. And I'm, of course, getting paid under the table. But um, uh, the Bitachan Hotline is really something I recommend for everybody. All of us need it. And there's different numbers to pick, different things. I personally like number three. That's my thing. I just gave away a secret. But um, it's a fantastic thing. It's all over the world. There's thousands of people listening now. We started very small as a young man. Every day, something new about Bitachan. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so that's his basic idea. Like there was uh, an example of, um, just give us an example, kind of like to prove this. There was once a story of a man who bought a lottery ticket in Europe. Apparently, lottery tickets could be used more than once. And he had Bitachan. He's going to win this lottery. It was He really was going to win. And he didn't. So he went up to his Rebbe complaining. He says, Rebbe, I didn't win the lottery. So the Rebbe says, you know what? You still could win one more time. So let me buy from you. I'll pay you double what you paid for it. So he said, all right. He gives him the lottery. He says, you see, you didn't have total Bitachan. Because if you had total Bitachan, you wouldn't have sold me the ticket. Any case, so the um, so that's like the Vardic. The Chazanish has a different approach. The Chazanish's approach is you can't have Bitachan necessarily that anything could happen. Sometimes it's not true. You have to be tachan that Hashem, whatever happens is for the good. That's what you have to trust. Everything's for the good and Hashem runs the show and that Hashem wants to do only what's good for you and everything's from him. And it may not be the way you perceive it as good. So he says, you can't hope that things are going to go my way, like Navardic says. That's a little slight difference. It's very slight if you think about it. Because even Navardic says that if something doesn't happen and you felt you had a lot of bitachon in it, you felt like you davened for it, you trusted in it, and it doesn't go right, in Navardic they would say that means it was poison for you, that it didn't go right. So it's very slight difference, but the, but both of them are having expressing you know ideas that everything's from Hashem and we don't know the future and Hashem is in control of everything that goes on with us. Now, one thing we do know, he's giving what we do know about Bitochen that's pretty universally known that we can learn from. And that is, a lot is dependent on your madrega. Like, for example, the Gemara, it says, The way you treat people is the way you're going to be treated. Whoever has mercy on people, Hashem will be mercy like you'll have mercy. Or it says Hashem Tzilcha. Or it says Kol Amavir Al Midosav. Whoever gives in is going to be forgiven for all his averus. The, uh, you know, same thing goes with Bitochen. To the degree that you trust Hashem, everyone agrees with this. Whether it's Brisker, whether it's um, whether it's the Chazanish or Navardic, they all agree. To the degree that you trust Hashem, Hashem is going to be there for you. There's a famous story about the Brisker Rav, the one that came to Eretz Yisrael. He, uh, not Rav Chaim, the son of Rav Chaim, uh, Rav, uh, what's his name, Yitzhak Zev Soloveitchik. There's a famous story that during the war, World War II, it was the 8th of Tishrei, and people would bring him food, such a holy man. He was in a ghetto somewhere. I think it was in the Warsaw ghetto, if I'm not mistaken. People brought him food. 
And on, uh, he never took more than what he needed for that day because he trusted, had such a madrega bitachon. So one day um, on the 8th of Tishrei, the 9th of Tishrei, we're commanded that you're supposed to eat. It's a mitzvah from the Torah to eat Arab Yom Kippur. You have to eat every morsel of food you eat Arab Yom Kippur is another mitzvah. So Yitzhak Zev, he, uh, he decided he's going to save some of the food that he got on the 8th of Tishrei because tomorrow's a mitzvah. I should save extra. The next day, a lady brought him some fish in honor of the 9th of Tishrei. And when they took it in, all of a sudden, a grenade fell into his window and burst and, and all the food was, the, the fish was destroyed. Particularly the fish was destroyed. And he said, you see, I shouldn't have hoarded any food. I should have depended on Hashem for today as well. And he says, Rav Nevinsel says, most of us are not on this madrega. I mean, all of us. He said, he's not. So if he's not, we're not. We're not on this madrega of bitachon to do such a thing. For us, that would be, you know, that would be stupid. We should save things and we should be prepared for things. Briskarov can do this. If you're on that madrega, then you're not being foolish or foolhardy. But if you, but if you, if you are on a madrega, that's what's expected of you. And that's why we keep seeing in the Chumash, there's differences between such expectations of very holy people, but for us, they would be considered a mitzvah. Even the idea of Moshe hitting this, the rock, al haselahach, we daven on Shmini Yetzirah, bring us water, because Moshe hit the stone. So obviously him hitting the rock, for us, if we would hit the rock, there would be at least we're trusting what Hashem kind of said about the rock being the source. You know, like it, it's for us, it's, it would be something. For Moshe Rabbeinu, was, he couldn't go to Eretz Yisrael, but we don't even understand it because we're on such a high level compared to us. Says Rav Nevinsal, in the 1920s, the Chafetz Chaim told people not to get life insurance. He felt you shouldn't. In the 1960s, Rabbi Feinstein says it's a mitzvah to get life insurance. So we see that there's a difference in madregas. People on certain, have to know what madrega they're on. Today's most rabbanim say that we have to do hishtablis. We have to make effort. We can't just fool around and, and play games with this because, you know, this is what our, our mission is to happy tachon. But if we're, there's a thing where Dessler says, if later on a person could regret not having employed enough hishtablis, it's called Toha Alarishonos, that he's going to, even, even the, my Navardic says this, if you're going to regret later that you went too far in Bitachan, then you can't do it. You can't go, you have to always think if, if you want to use Bitachan, but it's going to be, will you regret this? If it doesn't come true, then you're going too far. You can't have Bitachan if you're not holding on that level. Nevinsel continues, he says, the first korban, the first destruction of the temple hap happened because Gedalia did not do enough efforts to protect his life. He heard rumors that so-and-so was going to kill him. He didn't protect himself. Lack of ishtablis, lack of effort. Too much bitachon for his level. You know, it wasn't, wasn't proper. It, it wasn't anyways proper. It doesn't say we're in halacha that you're supposed to not take precautions if you hear someone's plotting to hurt you. And he, he didn't do so. And what happened was he the destruction of the temple. The second temple, there was Zechariah, who uh, big tzaddik, who refused to bring the, 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 the Caesar of Rome, gave him a sacrifice to bring. And Kamsa, Bar Kamsa, brought him, he, he, he nullified the korban. He made a mum. He made a blemish on the mouth of the animal. And he's strict. He says, we can't bring such an animal on the, uh, you know, on one hand may anger the Caesar. On the other hand, we can't put everyone in danger. But it says, Anbasanuso, the humility of Rav Zechariah, Hechriva is batenu v'nisrafas hechalenu v'hikli sonum eretzenu. It says in Gemara Gittin that Rav Zechariah didn't, he was too strict. He was too much bitachon. He didn't do enough ishtablis. And because of that, the temple was destroyed. So, so all these great people are taken to task for either doing too much effort or too little effort. And what are we supposed to do? Chizkiyahu, for example, Chizkiyahu, the holy Chizkiyahu, he was worried about the king of Ashur and he actually shortened the doors in the base Hamikdash of the Hechal and the Shulchan because he, he, for some personal reason, he wanted to, um, uh, he felt it would make a difference to the king of Ashur. And it said that he, the whole, everything happened, he was also guilty. But 
And Anavi didn't tell him he shouldn't. Anavi, nobody told him he shouldn't. But his Madrega, he had to trust in Hashem and not do anything to flatter any kings or anybody. Because in his day, he got everybody to learn so much Torah that, um, you know, the whole the whole Jewish people in the time of Chizkiyot, Midan Ba'ad Be'er Sheva, there was no Ame Ha'aretz. There was nobody that didn't know Torah in the time of Chizkiyot. And he employed too much effort. It says, You're guaranteed. If you keep my Torah, you can go to sleep and not be worried. So Kizkio did too much effort, too much effort here mm-hmm. that he that he was trying to um please the king of Assyria, of Ashur, and he did, and and, and this was his downfall. We find that there was a king named Asa. Uh, yeah, the, the king of Asa, when Asa was a king, and he was, a, 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 again, a very holy man, when he was elderly, it says he went to doctors. It says even when he was sick, he didn't follow Hashem. He followed, it says this in different Hayyamim. Now, it looks like, what's wrong with going to doctors? It says, rapo yurape. You know, that you're supposed to go to a doctor. A doctor has permission to heal the sick. But Dessler says, the Ramban says, that a person is supposed, that if a person is perfect in their bitachon, they can't, they have to trust only Hashem and not go to doctors. Hashem The Ramban says in the times of the Nevi'im, people would never go to doctors. To go to a doctor would be considered a lack of trust in Hashem. If a person's on that level, and I know there, I know of one Rosh Hashiva in our generation I heard of, I'm not saying who, but somebody told me or a certain Rosh Hashiva does not go to doctors, but everyone else has got to go to doctors because their machla is um, it's something that deserves to be, you know, we are, we are not on that level to only trust in Hashem. So that's what, so Asa was incongruent in all of his other activities, he trusted God. And here when it came to doctors, he did that little effort, which says in the Torah, you're supposed to do, but he was punished because he shouldn't have gone to doctors. It says, you know, it, 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 he's negatively explained, negatively put down because he went to doctors. Yoshiahu was another person in Tanakh. This very famous. We always talk about him with the Chorban. You know, like he thought everybody was not serving idols. He should have known better. And then meantime, he allowed the he didn't want the Egyptian army to pass through his land. And because of that, he suffered tremendously. So it's a tremendous balance to know when do I do bitachon and when do I do hishtadlis. Interesting, Micha, the Navi Micha tells people, it says, if people are not really on a level of bitachon and they do bad things and then they trust Hashem and it says, hello Hashem bekirbenu, I'm going to have bitachon and I'm not going to do any efforts. Nothing will come bad to them. Because of you, Sion is going to be plowed over. Because of you people who are not on the level of Pitachon, and you say, God, everything, Alice Vetstein, good. Everything's going to be well. God's with us. We aren't going to suffer. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be wonderful. You people deserve that. Sion should be plowed over. If people say they have bitachon when they don't, it can often come, says Rav Nevinsal, from laziness. Or it could come from a person just avoiding, avoiding personality. Or even very fearful. You don't want to even touch it. You don't even get near it. He says, so we learned a few things here. The more amuna you have, the less ishtablis you have to make. But you have to know yourself. What's my, my agenda? What am I doing and why am I doing it? Now, we don't know as, a, as an individual if we're worthy to have miracles done. We don't know. We know basically for the Jewish people in general, yes, miracles will be done. But as an individual, we don't know. And generally speaking, people should employ effort. So I just thought one lesson we learned from all of this, I, I'm sure you'll just, we're getting ideas. It makes us think about what the parameters are, be talking the mechanics, be talking how complicated it really is. It should just encourage us even more. We have to speak to our Rabbanim. I've heard from many people saying, I don't know if I'm going to get a vaccination or not. Go to your Rav. If you have a Rav, don't just say for this, for this thing, I'm not going to him. 
If you have a rub for everything else, why all of a sudden are you skipping over him when it comes to vaccinations? Because, uh, you know, and of course, he'll probably tell you to speak to your doctor, maybe it depends on, uh, but we have to know when not to employ bitachon and when yes to employ bitachon. But to say, I'll do nothing, are we sure it's due to our great bitachon that we're doing nothing? Or to our, I mean, we're in a very big, I think we're in a generation where the MS to Heinaderis, this is one of the promises of Ikvasid Mashiach. Like this, you're hearing everything. You hear about Trump one thing, and then you hear the opposite from somebody else. You hear something about medicine, and you hear the opposite from somebody else. We are so clueless. We really that we're not. We have to turn to our rabbanim, and and it was even more. It's more uncomfortable is that rabbanim are challenging each other. Rabbanim are are are, are on opposite camps today. There's two rebbes of so many sects. There's two different opinions in the Lipisha world. There's so many, it's like, it's very frightening. All we have to do is we have to go by whoever our Mora Derech is. We'll put it on his shoulders that whatever, when it comes to anything with Tishtavlis, we should have someone to consult, be it medically, be it financially. How much is too much Tishtavlis? It, it pays a call once in a while to speak to our local rabbi, to ask him or a Gadol Bistral, whoever you choose, what do I do now? What should I do now? It's not for us to decide because sometimes it's misplaced bitachon. So that's where I'm taking Rev. Nevinsal's words, Shlita. Now, how do we incorporate Bitochan into our daily life? That we're told about the Parsha of Mun. The Parsha of Mun is applying Bitochan to your real life, especially with Parnasa. You know, in the Orcha Sadiqim, this many years ago, I saw this, but um, I'm just saying it for a second. In the Sharha Simcha, he talks about how to be joyful. He talks about it, especially with Parnasa. And I, I noticed he didn't mention anything about health. He only talked about Parnassus. And I said, what, Parnassus is more important than health? So I thought that perhaps what he's saying in the Shar HaSimcha, the Orch HaSiddiqim is saying that people tend to, when it comes to life and death, people know there's God. When it comes to Parnassus, all of a sudden, it's my strength that brings me what I have. So a person has to know that um, when it comes to, uh, you know, Parnassus, and the things we we, we manage to uh, uh, you know do in life, accomplish mm -hmm. in life, all the accomplishments we do, that's when we have to apply bitachon. Now let's talk about the man since we're going to be saying it today. The man had the shape of a coriander seed, and it shone like a jewel. And God gave it to us like a present in the morning. It was wrapped up in a box with dew under it and on top of it, like wrapped up. The slav, by the way, the quail, which was an extra, they didn't have to have quail to live. That was not wrapped up. And it was given at night when you're less interested in it because you're less hungry. And um, the whole idea was that, you know, the man was something we should have trusted Hashem. I mean, that's something we had to ask Hashem for. We have to eat uh, for bread. But when it came to luxuries like, like, like meat, that's when maybe we shouldn't have gone. We, we shouldn't have gone so far. Any case, the miracle of man was you never had to use the bathroom for 40 years. It was totally absorbed in your, in your, in your system. Rav Shimshim Pincus tells us, that usually we see Parnassa and all kinds of human endeavors. Usually it seems like the people that are stronger, the people with more connections, the people with more money, those are the ones that get help more. You know, I remember somebody that was a daughter of a billionaire once told me that her father was paralyzed by a nurse and they had extra health care, more than the average, paralyzed because they didn't, they turned him the wrong way in his hospital bed and then he became paralyzed from the waist down. And this is from a person that could have afforded the top healthcare in, in the universe, you know? So we find that, um, you know, people, um, you know, usually think like efforts, you know, I don't have the connections. I don't have the person in the field. I don't have people to talk to. With the man, every person was according to your madrega. It was not according. It was a spiritual food. It had nothing to do with what your prowess was. It had to do more what your spiritual level was, how far you had to walk for it. Rav Chaim Mintz says of something I never noticed. We read, when we read the Parshas Amman, it says whoever hoarded the man, that worms would, it, it would, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't last. Only would, for, the, for that day, you couldn't hoard it. It would have vayom telaim vayivash. It would have all of a sudden worms in it and it would dry out. He said, usually the, the chemical composition of man, when anything, uh, usually worms don't go into something until it rots. 
So this also is a miracle. Just the fact that when it would rot to show the people that didn't trust God, that they were, they were, you know, wary of, um, of, you know, not hoarding. They wanted mm -hmm. to hoard. They were afraid what's going to be tomorrow. Hashem showed them even in a miraculous way that the worms came into the food before the food even got dried out and rotten, which is interesting. And that's what it means, says Rapam's itself. What does it mean that the man is here to afflict you and to test you? What was the test and the affliction? The test and the affliction was, he brings down Rav Imi, says in the Gemara, that when a person doesn't have bitachon, he has affliction. He suffers. He suffers. Oh my gosh, what's going to be tomorrow? Oh, I saw it with my own eyes today. And all the, <laughs> but there was a promise. There was a haftacha. There was a, and it's sevoy. That not, don't let it be anything over. You shouldn't be worried. Rav Asi said, and also, um, he says like this. There's usually when a person has what's called, they said, um, it says in the Gemara, call me shiyeshlo pas basalo. Whoever, whoever has bread in his basket, and says, what are we going to eat tomorrow? He's lacking in his, in his faith in God. Now look how low we are. You know, and he says, Rapam says in our generation, people have a different level of what's called paspasalo. Some people say, if I have money for a year, I'm fine. Some people say, if I have money for a week, I'm fine. If I have money for a month, I'm fine. You know, in those days, it was you had it for a day or for even the time. We're called Amana. We have to know who we are. And if we don't have any worries, then maybe you can apply yourself and say, you know, like I, I'm on that level. But the person should check first with the Rav to do what they're doing and, and, and what, what they have to employ. Rav Asi said there was another affliction that you didn't see any pleasure. It, the man didn't look like any. It looked beautiful, but it didn't, you know, the pleasure of sinking your teeth into different textures and food and the different sights. It said that a blind person does not appreciate his food. Like, you know, like there's a whole color aspect of, you know, the way they, one of the reasons why we like Nerus in the dining room is to appreciate the food. You know, there's much in the industry spent on making food appealing looking on the plate. You know, I remember when I had to go to one of my children's weddings, we're making a wedding. So they were talking about the main course, we we're planning for the wedding. They said, well, what's, you need a green on the plate now. Like you have different colors, you have to have all the color. The more colorful somebody makes something, they're really doing a chesed for people, not only the taste of the food, but you know, like we know how it must feel in a nursing home, Loalena, when people have to eat like mush. You know what I mean? Like the texture is important and, and everything's just different colors. It's it's appealing. It makes it more satisfying. Um, so the mum was located in the Holy of Holies. Yoshiel HaMelech decided to, he hid it. He hid it afterwards, but originally it was in, put in the Holy of Holies. Now, why? Usually you don't, can't bring food into a shul unless it's for a purpose. You know, the stipler, Zechran Lavracha, he want, he used to, uh, he once on Yom Kippur, couldn't walk home. So they gave him a place to sleep. He couldn't sleep the whole night because he said he felt something was holy there. And it turned out there was once an Aaron Kodesh in the room he was sleeping. He felt it. We're not on that madrega, but, uh, you know, there's certain things you can't do in a shul. Like you can't kiss your child in a shul uh, during davening. You know, it's, a, it's like, it's inappropriate. There's Hashem there. How are you kissing a child? Or eating food, you know, same thing. Or sleeping in a shul, unless there's, uh, you know, whatever. Especially near the Aron Kodesh, there may be leniencies mm -hmm. on the you know, other side of the Mechitza. But uh, Yirmiyahu showed them on to the Jewish people later on to show them. You see how Hashem took care of you? You need chizek. Every day you had what you needed for 40 years. So why do we have the man in the Aron Kodesh? Because that's the main tenet of Yiddishkeit. It's not God in heaven and on the earth, he just let us swim for ourselves. Everything in earth has got to be connected with Hashem. Food has to be elevated. You know, it says, Loa lalechem levado yichye ha'adam ki motze pi Hashem. Kol motze pi Hashem yichye ha'adam. A person doesn't live on bread alone. It's, it's, it's God's word that makes them live. And they're using food which we're commanded to eat to give us sustenance. We're supposed to take care of ourselves. But... Um, we have, to, we have to try to elevate food. That's the idea of the man that we're supposed to learn. That's what the food, they didn't have an appearance. They wanted something appetizing and appealing, but holy people just can disregard this. And, you know, it's for us, for, for other people, we're supposed to make food appetizing, but the person themselves is not supposed to be too engaged in it. You know, today, the cookbooks that they have out there, wherever you're making it, it's almost like a work of art. 
it's going to be in your your in your gut within five minutes you know like is it really worth like you should make it nice as nice as you can but it doesn't have to be a particularly work of art the Chavetz, I've heard this in the name of the Chavetz Chaim, and I definitely heard it in the name of Aaron Cutler. Both of them said when they would eat food, they'd say, Lomer up pateran demesen. Let's get it over with the eating. Let's just, let's just get over eating. You know, let's get over with it. Why did they say this? Because they felt that eating was something that they just had to, it wasn't something, the main thing in life. It was just something they had to get through. But us as women, we have to try to make it nice for others. Famous story also, Rebetzin Kanievsky, Zechana Lavracha, for her husband, he was so into his learning every night she would tell him what bracha to make on everything because he didn't even know what he's eating. You know, that's Rukhaim is on such a level, like food to him means absolutely nothing. One time she gave him ice cream, I think for Rosh Chodesh, and some either she asked him or somebody else asked him how he liked it. And he said it was cold. <laughs> that's that was Rukhaim's approach to ice cream. So any case, so the um, you know, so that man. It was colorless, tasteless, totally absorbed. We're supposed to let food push it more in the background, though. You don't have to get a three cookbooks coming out every year. Unbelievable. Now they're finally getting easier cookbooks for these working women because they're finally realizing that, you know, they went a little too far with what they were giving people. These crazy ingredients and complicated and bring everything to the Jewish world. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, how crazy can we get? So that's, we have to have bitachon every single day in our parnasa, and that's that's the segula of saying parsha saman. By saying it, what we're really doing is we're, we're internalizing the message that Hashem really is guiding everything we do and that we get everything we need. And it happened for 40 years straight to our ancestors, and we can have the same attitude and merit thereby to get what we need. Rav Shimon Schwab, Zechron Lebracha, says, why is the splitting of the Red Sea, why is your Parnassa coming to you like the splitting of the Red Sea? What's the, what's, you know, first of all, was it hard for Hashem? And secondly, is what's the, what's the, the equivalence here? So he says like this, Shimon Schwab says, you know, when it, there's a medrash that when the sea wanted to split, the sea is a place, you know, it says sailors by nature, have emuna, have more faith than other people, because your whole life is very unstable at sea. You don't know what's going to be any minute if something could happen. It's 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 a you know it's there's also beautiful tranquility. Like the flow of water is the most tranquil thing a person can have in their life. There's nothing more tranquil than water. But the um, the you know the, the, in the sea teaches a person a lot of bitachon and emuna. Water, water is a tremendous comfort. I forgot who they said. A lot of gadolim tell people if they have any distraught, people that are depressed should go to the water. It's very important. It's for, people need it for relaxation. Any case, so they say that um, they say that uh, the um, I just noticed there's a whole snowstorm going on outside my window. Okay, sorry about this distraction. Anyway, so the, um, then so they. Uh, so the sea is the water is a place that it gives you a muna. So when, when Moshe Rabbeinu was commanding the sea to split, so to speak, the sea said, what? Mm -hmm. All this Kiddush Hashem, all this muna that people are getting from being at the water is going to be lost? How can I split? So it was told, no, there's going to be a bigger Kiddush Hashem because it's against nature that this should happen. And people are going to really believe in God now if they see the, the Yamsu splitting. So it split. So too. When Hashem afflicts people with lack of parnasa, sometimes Hashem says, you know what? Look how my beautiful child is, my beautiful son or daughter. They basically barely have what they need. And yet they're still praising me and they're still davening to me. And they daven more than usual because they need me so badly. I should give them parnasa? If I give them parnasa, who knows if they're going to use it properly? But still, so it's the same idea. Hashem, uh, sometimes it's a, a Jew shows his beauty when we trust Hashem in the darkest of times. It says that Mara was a place where we got six commandments because the bitter water, bitterness, when it's dark, and they threw a bitter stick into the water to make it to make it uh, to make it sweet. You know what's what's the idea there? It's total bitachon. Have bitachon, you can bring great results, and then the person will use their parnas hopefully for good things. Now that they've demonstrated how much they're close to Hashem, 
The same thing with the Zivik Shani says, when a person's already been married once or knows what marriage is and they feel like they can't, they, they need to be married, they need to be married and they're doing without it. Hashem says, look, my child is withstanding this test. And, but, uh, but if they have it up, Bitachan and Simcha and what they're doing, even though it's difficult for the child, doesn't mean kasha. It's not difficult for Hashem. It's difficult for the person undergoing the test. And like Yamsuf was, and like, you know, you're gaining something from this particular test. We're gaining things. And we withstand this test. And then Hashem says, okay, in this case, you deserve a Zivik Shani. And then you'll employ that also for the sake of heaven. There's a story about, um, I saw this from, um, what's his name? Rabbi Spiro. Uh, he has a story in his book, Touch of Inspiration, about a man that was in the lumber business about 100 years ago, named Levy Goldback. And um, he, he was a very wealthy person, gave his wealth to everybody. Um, he, gave his, he shared his wealth with everybody. And somebody just said they were leaving. Somebody could tell them that we have, uh, we have, by the way, we send a copy of this. Rivka sends it off to anybody who wants a copy of the Shear afterwards. Somebody had to leave because we're gonna about to talk about Tubishvat. We're just finishing up now in this last story. And then we're gonna talk about Tubishvat. So I have five more minutes to go. Anybody missed this, they can either get a tape or whatever or whatever. Now, any case, the, um, the, uh, the, he was in the lumber business and he, he was very generous, did so much chesed and he lost all of his money. So he went to his Rebbe. He used to always be giving to his Rebbe. He had to get a, he got a special put. Now he's standing in the back. He's the pauper. And it's been a while already. His Rebbe was Yitzhak Zelig of Sokolov. And he went to him and he told him, Rebbe, I, he couldn't contain himself. I don't know what, I, I, I had the money and I don't know what to do. So he, he told them, his Rebbe told them, you know, it says in the Gemara and Sanhedrin that when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and took over the world, he wanted to sing Shira, but Hashem didn't let him. So the question is, what do you mean Hashem doesn't let him? Hashem doesn't let somebody say Shira. We have, we have freedom of free will. Why couldn't Nebuchadnezzar sing Shira? So his Rebbe told him from the Kotzker, because the Kotzker says, it's not a big deal to sing Shira when things are easy. That's not a big deal. It's a big deal to sing Shira when things are not so easy. That's the big Shira of a person's life. So with that, we find that he took it. He took it with Bitachon. And then a short while after, he became wealthy again. So in any case, you know, when we have a hardship, if we take it like a man, even though we're women, there's hope for us that we can gain everything. So let's employ these lessons of Bitachon. Consult with Rabbanim. Don't be a foolish Boteach Bashem if you don't have it. You have to have the proper bitachon and amuna. You have to have you have to have the uh, the mechanics of it to know sometimes doing too much or doing too little is not always right. And we have to know that um, when things are hard, that's when you get the most reward. Tubishvat, there's two lessons to learn from Tubishvat, which is this Thursday, Wednesday night. Rav Pamzatzal says, right now we're in the thick of winter. If you're in Toronto, you really see it right now. And we're told at Tubishvat, the sap returns to the trees. White, the snow usually means like tachrichen. It's like the linen shrouds, everything's dead outside. And it's like, you know, things are gonna, there's a revival. It reminds us there's a revival in life. There's gonna be birds and blossoms and fruit come back. And, and we get unnecessary luxuries, you know? Anybody can, can bloom, you know, in this world. The, uh, the Darche Musser tells us in Masechus Shabbos, it says that when, um, that when the, uh, that when Moshe Rabbeinu came up to Shemayim to get the Torah, the Malachim said, why are you giving it to people? And Moshe told them, do you have a Yetzirah? Why was this dialogue going on? So the Darche Musser says, it's enough for a human being to have the miracles of creation. Angels have the same old, same old. They same kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Everything's beautiful, perfect all the time. No changes in an angel's life. Human beings see up and downs. It's glorious when you've suffered to all of a sudden see light. Like, I don't know about you, I'm imagining when I'm going to be reunited with my children who I haven't seen in a year and a half, I'm going to feel like saying Shechianu, even though I have to ask a Shiloh if I can, but I'm going to say it without shame and malchus. I'm like dying, you know, or let's say going to a shul if you haven't been in a shul for so long. Like the feelings, this only a human being can express. By Malachim, there's no ups and downs. There's no possibilities of evil and possibilities of good. It's all perfect. 
So that's what Ravarin Box from Shaville Zatzal says. Um, when it says, Lo nitna Torah el man, the Torah was only given to people that eat the man. The man was like, as we said, it forced you to believe in God. It came clockwork every day and it didn't have anything appealing. We in creation, we could see the budding of a flower, how it's dead and then it opens. We have four seasons to see the changes in the weather, the changes in people, the changes in a human being, the more wrinkles, the more stretch marks, the more everything that a person gets all over. You know, this is a reminder that life has changes, ups and downs and Tubishvat gives us this hope for renewal. And if we want to have more Muna Bitachan, we have to employ those methods that Rav Victor Miller tell us. Look at creation, introspect. He's being be, be thoughtful about all the miracles we have in creation. When we eat those different fruits, the colors, the textures, the different tastes of so many kinds of things. Remember, we have a creator. And just like he was so careful to make oranges, oranges, and apples, apples, he's careful to give us each our packing orders, marching orders. We're doing what we have to do in our life and everything we got there's a definite address why we are supposed to undergo what we're undergoing and let us come out of this from the lessons of 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 Tubishvat, the lessons of Parsha Saman that we can trust Hashem all the time Kriyas Yamsub all these this again a further lesson of Bitachan I thank you for listening I wish you a wonderful week and let's have a revival Mir Hashem spiritually physically emotionally mentally from Shibun Machias and Bias Mashiach Tikenu Bimheravi Amenu Amen Amen. Thank you. Thank you.